Hello, and welcome to the My Messy Church podcast. Each week, we'll be going through your questions from the weekend services and doing our best to present answers from a biblical perspective. If you haven't yet listened to the weekend sermon, I want to encourage you to head over to curtislake.org backslash media for context of what we will be discussing today. We love getting your questions and cannot wait to grow together. So without further ado, let's dive into My Messy Church. Hello, friends. Welcome to the My Messy Church podcast. Um, got some questions this week. We're going to take a look at uh, first one that came in is, uh, can you provide some practical examples of what it means to you for our church to be cross carrying in the Sanford community today? Um, so this past week, I, I kind of talked about, um, you know, as part of the lesson, the the I think the the tendency of church is to kind of go through uh, various periods uh, in their development. Uh, we talked about how a church you know, that just starts um, that just starts off often comes with a tremendous amount of excitement because it's new, it's fresh, um, and a lot of times it can see some pretty accelerated growth, uh, especially if you have you know, a really good group of people, uh, that are involved in kind of establishing that, that are really good at building relationships and things like that. And, uh, and, and in those early days, there's very, very little organization, probably, uh, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's just, there's not much to manage. A lot of times there's not a building, uh, or, you know, property that's involved, uh, not a ton of money necessarily that is needing to be stewarded or whatever. Uh, and so people are, uh, the people that are part of that work are usually very, very um, uh, deeply invested in in what is going on there. And so I think that contributes to uh, a tendency for it to accelerate in its growth. And, you know, at some point, obviously, uh, as the thing grows, it does require more management and organization, things like that, which have positive and negative implications on the positive side. I mean, it's better to be organized generally than to not be organized, especially if you're talking about uh, um, a larger number of people or more sophisticated kinds of uh, programs, strategies, things like that, um, things to manage. Um, but there's, the, you know, the downside of that is that you can end up with a lot of people who are not necessarily contributing. Um, you know, people that are. Uh, sort of, you know, kind of on the sidelines or are participating in a, in a more, um, uh, you know, more passive sense and nothing necessarily wrong with that. It's just that there's a greater, you know, uh, the resources that are there are now being distributed among, uh, among people that are, um, you know, some of whom are contributing, some of whom are not. And so, um, the, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a place that's not, that doesn't have a like levels of organization or management, things can get done quickly, right? Decisions get made pretty easily. There's not usually a bottleneck anywhere. Um, anyway, so again, like as that organization tends to mature and develop and, you know, let's say a, a church, uh, since we're talking about a church gets to a place where it does, uh, take on the responsibility of owning and managing property and a, a building and all the assets that go along with that, uh, all the, the maintenance that's required, um, 
again, maybe uh, an organizational flow chart that is just far more complicated than um, than a person who's kind of seen as the head of the organization. And that's, you know, everybody else is just sort of um, right under that person. Um, now you maybe have layers um, uh, of, of complication and and yeah, I mean, culturally, like a church can continue to be extremely healthy uh, and uh, it can continue to be very outward focused, um, very welcoming to people who are not presently part of that church uh, to make them part of the church. Right. We've seen that kind of thing happen lots of times. Um, but there's also a tendency sometimes for churches to um, to go in one of a couple other directions, uh, one to become very insular and to really be largely concerned with who is on the inside presently and not as concerned with those who are on the outside. And, uh, and, and, you know, such, you know, that kind of a culture often tends to be very communally strong, uh, right. Because you probably end up with a lot of people that, that, that look and talk and act like one another. There may not be uh, a whole lot of diversity, right? Because it's, it's, it's sort of just become this more homogenized kind of people, right? There's no, there's no, there's new, there's no new water flowing in. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, real tight knit spiritual community probably, but ultimately one that stagnates and starts to, you know, see, uh, instead of growth, maybe even start to see things, um, kind of decreasing in terms of like, um, the number of people that are part of that. So that's one, that's, that, that's one thing that can happen. Um, such a, such a church could be pretty wealthy in its resources. Um, again, because you probably have people that are a larger percentage of people who are stakeholders in, uh, in the thing, right. They are, it's such a, the church is such a big part of their lives that they are willing to contribute and invest in that with their time, their talent, the treasure, all that. Um, and then, you know, there's, I think a, a tendency for churches to possibly go in another direction as well. And that is to, um, uh, to ultimately, uh, become less of the, uh, the, the passionate, sort of gospel proclaiming kind of thing that it had started out to be, you know, like this, it saw itself in the early stages as a church uh, that had a mission and wanted to see uh, change happen within their community. And they believed that that was done as people experienced what it meant to become a follower of Jesus in larger and larger numbers, right? And as people, as their lives were being transformed, then that would have repercussions, uh, not only in their own individual lives and their families, but also like that would ripple effect in the community. And so at some point, I think some religious institutions have kind of lost, they've, they've just lost that. And they've, they've maybe, um, uh, become like I, I talked about the, the chameleon effect, you know, maybe have become while still a church in name are, 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 are yeah, a, a, a religious gathering or group of people, but, but probably not necessarily, uh, offering the community anything that they would be tremendously different from what they might otherwise experience in other ways, uh, of, of finding community, right? Like the, the, the impact of Christ crucified is sort of 
reduced and not seen as uh, uh, a, a very central thing to which we um, make ourselves um, loyal to. And, uh, and so the, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'd want to say it's just, it, you know, it becomes kind of another, another organization that, uh, you know, not, not necessarily bad or harmful or negative in, in the sense that it's like doing bad or evil things, but, you know, is it, is it really spiritually alive? Is it truly uh, a group of people that are, um, that are desiring to see the power of God being demonstrated in their lives as God transforms us? Are they desiring for to see God's power being demonstrated in their community as, uh, you know, the miracle of, uh, of salvation and the miracle of healing and the miracle of restoration, the miracle of redemption is happening uh, all around. Have they just have they kind of lost that and become more uh, more naturalistic or more um, more humanistic in their in their kind of approach to to life and even to to religion. Um, so, as uh, what I what I kind of described as a hope that I would have for the church that I'm going to be a part of and the church that I would. You know, hopefully, lead is one that is seeking to uh, reflect the idea of continuing to carry the cross. Right, that to be a church that bears the marks uh, of the cross, and and so this person is asking for practical examples. Um, I, I, I don't know. Um, for me, like the, the way I'm talking about this, I think has more to do with with culture and a way of being than. Uh, an absolute prescription for okay, well, this is what you must do, um, and when you do this, then you are in effect carrying the cross. Um, I think that there are certain indicators for me, from what I understand as I study scripture, that would say, you know, this is a church that is seeking to um, uh, to follow in the pattern, the example of Jesus, who, of course, you know, carried and ultimately surrendered to the cross and. Uh, so one of the things that I think is really important for a church that wants to wants to move in this direction is that church has to have an absolute refusal to marry itself to power. Um, this is, I think, been one of the great and damaging things throughout the history of the church uh, that has been done, and that is people who are Christians or people who call themselves Christians or places that call themselves Christian churches, they, they, they try to ally themselves with, with power. Um, so for hundreds and hundreds of years, the, the church was in the Western world, the dominant force of political power, right? There was almost no distinction between, um, the, the ruling class, uh, and religion, right? Those things were married to one another. And, uh, Unfortunately, and I think this is pretty inarguable, um, religion and power are an unholy union. Like they just, they, they, they don't belong together. And so I've, uh, I've preached and will continue to preach the, you know, the kind of ethic that says, you know, the, the church as Jesus imagined it was not destined to be a ruling class. It was not destined for power. And I think we find the church at its most terrible, um, like in terms of culture and uh, just a way of being when it is, when it's married to a desire for power. 
in in my lifetime, I mean, this is this is probably the kind of Christianity that I largely grew up in and um, have probably spent a, a significant part of my life in as an American Christian uh, because we saw this kind of thing. You know, we had a in the in, in the last couple hundred years um, a declining sentiment toward. Uh, toward religion, a declining sentiment toward things like the authority of scripture, um, like uh, things that were for many, many years never called into question or or were were suddenly called, starting to be called into question. And so it left people with a uh, a declining uh, fervor for like religious enthusiasm. And so while people, uh, again, just speaking of our experience in America, while people may have largely continued to uh, do things like go to church uh, or even call themselves Christians or identify themselves that way, um, the reality there was is there just there wasn't much substance behind that, right? It was uh, it was more uh, just a a, a culture. Uh, and, uh, and so anyway, like with this declining sentiment, and then I, I think with uh, some of the uh, the cultural changes that really, really accelerated a growing, uh, for some, a growing departure from the church and religion, uh, and also a polarizing effect between those who were either out of religion or moving away from religion, religion and those who were holding on to it with a clenched fist. Uh, this polarizing was, was uh, you know, really kind of brought to the surface with with you know like what happened in the the sexual revolution of the of the 60s and 70s um as well as a lot of other i think ideological um kind of things that 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 surfaced um and so you had as a response to culture kind of going in a direction away from um certain ideas about morality, um, certain ideas about truth, things like that. As, as that was happening, you had this kind of retaliation on the part of religious people who saw um, everything that they loved and cherished, you know, possibly being threatened and maybe even ultimately taken away. And so uh, for a lot of for a lot of us, you know, that response was to try to to get the power back, right, to try to um, to try to exert our influence, uh, to hold on to, uh, to hold on to power so that our, our religious way of living could be protected. Uh, and so you had the, the, you had things surface like, um, or, you know, ideas kind of come to the surface of, of like the moral majority, um, uh, that, that's kind of triggered in a, in, in people that were still very, um, religiously inclined, uh, to, to, to seek political power for their, for their advantage. And, um, and so I think we ended up with in the Western world, in a, in a lot of places, and it's not a universal thing. It's not like every church was necessarily like this, but I think it's pretty common. Um, you you had the church becoming identified with with political movements. Um, it was it was creating alliances with people in order to gain political cachet. Again, in an effort to protect and to preserve uh, what was important to people. And uh, and for a while, I think this 
it worked, right? I mean, um, as we all know, elections are are constantly in this kind of cycle um, of moving in one direction and another direction, and uh, and so um, the church, uh, yeah, the church became culturally speaking uh, a, a place that was looked at that, that held power, um, you know, over people, sometimes churches individually or even denominationally had certain ways about them that, that imposed an incredible amount of power over individual people's lives. And, and anyway, um, yeah, uh, I'd like to say long story short, but I guess it was just a long story. Long story made long is the, is, is the a, a church that's going to have a culture of carrying the cross. It needs to, it just, it, it needs to avoid a desire for power. Um, you know, along with that, this, there has to be a willingness to, to hold fast, uh, to what is right. Even if we, if it means we have to suffer for it. Right. And so I think this is where a lot of, um, in, in, in my nearly 50 years of, of living, you know, the church was, the church was willing to fight for something that it really believed in, um, and wanted to preserve, uh, but was far less willing to suffer the repercussions that came when, um, when a, the, a world in which that church lived was out of alignment with what that church held as important, uh, what, what beliefs that church may have, uh, cherished and, and held as, as sacred, um, the early church, it seems to me, they were powerless largely, um, for, for a long time. Uh, the people who decided to follow Christ, they, they, they didn't have any say, um, they, they influenced culture, you know, kind of through the back door as opposed to, you know, gaining positions of prominence where they could then use that prominence, uh, or in other words, power to sort of demand what they wanted, uh, out of their community or out of their nation. Uh, it, it just wasn't like that it, to follow Christ, you know, and to, to be one who carried their cross ultimately meant to, you know, to believe in something very, very deeply, um, and to hold fast to that, but in such a way that it wasn't a, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try to gain power to make other people adopt these same beliefs or, um, or, or, or to, to align themselves, uh, with their lives. And, you know, the way that I believe is right. It was, no, they were just, they're willing to, to hold their beliefs and live their lives in a way that they believed honored and pleased God. And if they had to suffer for that, because those who held the power and those that were the ruling class, um, were, were out of sorts with, with those beliefs or that way of living, then so be it. Like, that's just, that's, um, that was the culture of the church. And I think there's a very, there's a, there's a great purity to that, um, that I think we have to sort of reimagine and, and reclaim for ourselves, uh, that while, you know, we, we live in, and this is tricky because we, like, we live in a society where we do have a tremendous amount of, um, rights, if you will, uh, we have a voice, like there's ways that we can try to influence things like legislation, uh, on the local, the state, and even the national level, right? There's just, there's ways that we can get involved to try to preserve things that are important to us. 
And, um, and, and while I think that like to do that in the right spirit is, is perfectly fine. Um, the idea that like the church has to reclaim something like, uh, like national power is it's, it's, it's not, it's not just problematic. I mean, I think it's just completely goes against the nature uh, of what the church was intended to be. Uh, and so, yeah, I, like we just, we, we've got to refuse to marry ourselves to power. Um, I think that like carrying the cross means that like what we're trying to do is cultivate um, a, uh, you know, instead of like this culture of spiritual elitism, which is what I think the Corinthian church was guilty of. And what, you know, I'm, I'm sure many of our, the churches that we have been part of and like the, this church that we are a part of now. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we, uh, we sometimes find ourselves failing in this area of just of acting like, you know, we've arrived, uh, of being, uh, spiritually elite of, 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 you know, seeing ourselves as something over and above and better than, you know, whatever else, whether it's, um, whether it's another church or another way a church is, or, or even people outside the church. And, uh, and we can't, we can't succumb to that. And, and we can't, I, we can't lose what I believe is, you know, a posture of, of brokenness. Um, I think for us to exist as a, as a place that, that bears the marks of the cross is like we 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 live in our continued brokenness. Uh, we live in a sense that that the end has not yet come. Right. The I talked about how the Corinthian church had already sort of given itself a crown uh, and was living as if they had arrived and as if every uh, yeah as if the day of the Lord had come. Um, like we see us in this this in between, uh, the advents of Christ, right. The advent of Christ coming to the earth the first time where he, um, you know, where he showed himself a savior to the world by what he did on the cross. And we're uh, anticipating the second advent. That is when Christ returns to, um, to, to bring in his kingdom in, in, in its fullness. But like right now we're in this place where that's, that hasn't happened yet. And so, uh, we live in, we live in our broken, our own brokenness. We live in, uh, in, in a, a community of brokenness. And, and, and so like, we have to, I think, be willing to, um, to have our hearts still broken for the brokenness that's around us. Uh, a lot of people want to just try to redefine uh, brokenness into something that's not broken. Um, and I, I, I think that I think it's appropriate for a Christian to, to just like for their heart to be broken um, for the brokenness that's around us. Uh, we have to be willing to sit um in brokenness with those who are broken. Right. And, and like, I'm talking as if like, there's no brokenness in my life. And, and I don't mean to imply that. What I mean is that, um, we're all going to find ourselves in different places, um, you know, of, uh, you know, uh, people who have, who have, you know, maybe been able to kind of come through a, a tremendous amount of brokenness and are maybe just further along or spiritually more healthy or however you want to categorize it. It's not that that person's any better. They're just in a different circumstance. Um, but I can't ever like, if I could speak for myself, I can't come to this place where it's like, okay, I've, I, I know everything I need to know. I've learned everything I need to learn. Um, I see the gifts of God being lived out in my life and, and, um, and I can look at, 
uh, all the ways in which God has blessed me. Um, I could point to ways that God has blessed, quote unquote, you know, the ministry, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, the things that I'm endeavoring to do, God's God's stamp of approval is on that, right? I could I could get to this place where it's just again, it's like almost as if I I've um, I've gone and I've taken the crown and I've I've coronated myself, and uh, like that's we're, we're just, we're so far from a job being done. And so we have to see ourselves uh, as the kind of place that maintains a, um, a desire to see what Jesus commanded us to do, what he left us with, um, until he returns. Right. And I, I mentioned two things specifically. One is love one another, even as I have loved you. Right. And we have certainly not arrived at a place where we could say that we are in, in full obedience to that commandment. We have work to do. And so like, we have to go after that work. He said, go and, um, and, and reach people like uh, proclaim the gospel and baptize people and teach them to observe the commands that I've given to you. Right. And so there's a, uh, there's a very outward facing way, um, about us that, that needs to be willing to kind of go into the world and, and, and continue to propagate this message that the Christ who was crucified is Lord, right? Like that was, that was the message that in Paul's day was considered to be foolish in today's day. It's considered to be foolish. You know, are we willing to continue to carry that out? And so, um, I think that's probably, um, good for that as, as far as, you know, what, what I believe it, it means for us to, to sort of be working toward this particular kind of culture of carrying our cross of bearing the marks of the cross. All right. Uh, second question is, do you believe that complacency lends itself to becoming arrogant? Um, that's a good question. I, I, I think it definitely can. Uh, you think about what complacency is, right? It is a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a place, um, or stage say where one is, is sort of happy with where they are. And by happy, I don't necessarily mean like giddy and, um, like happy in the, in the, the, the laughing jovial and, um, you know, happy way we think of that, but just like content, like sometimes complacency can be, it can be very negative, right? A person could be, um, in a situation in their life where, uh, they've sort of resigned themselves to whatever it is that is. And while there may be ways that they could, um, they, 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 they could maybe change, uh, or, uh, or start to affect some change in those areas that are not as one would hope to be. It is possible for a person to just be complacent and, and, and content with, um, with, with, with what it is. And, um, and I do think, I, I you know, I think arrogance can definitely be a root cause of that. Um, this idea that, um, that, that our pride is just, uh, allowed us to think that, you know, there's, there's, there, there's nothing more that, that we need to do. Uh, you know, I've been talking a lot about how God has entrusted us with the lives that he has given us, right. That God has put, he's put something into each of our hands and ultimately we're going to give an account for what we do with what God has put into our hands and, uh, and it, it's arrogant to think that, um, or to carry on in my life as if, first of all, that's not going to happen, right? As if I'm only accountable to myself. 
And so complacency, I think, points to a, an idea that I'm just I'm just accountable for me and there's nobody else that I have to worry about answering to. I mean, that's that's kind of the epitome of arrogance, I think, when it, it's very, very clear that we will ultimately uh, stand before God one day and uh, and we'll be judged for for how we handled what he entrusted to us. And so uh, I think complacency can be a, a really, really challenging spiritual issue uh, for people. And I, and I really do believe that, that it's, um, it's, it's, it is spiritual. It's a spiritual matter. And, uh, and, you know, sometimes God uses circumstances in our lives to kind of like, you know, put the paddles on us, <laughs> you know, from the defibrillator and, and, you know, try to jolt us back into uh, a sense of kind of moving and like, getting out of the the force of inertia that just has us you know continuing to sit at rest um so yeah good question um next question is so how do you find the balance between being appropriately proud of programs and teaching and not arrogant so obviously we've been talking a lot about how the corinthian church was just they were just they were they were full of pride and arrogance um i guess there was a sense in which they uh, could have thought that they had arrived that they kind of made it you know they had their they had their teachers they had their um they had their desire for increasing wisdom uh often unfortunately it was the wisdom of the world that they were seeking after as opposed to the real wisdom of god uh right which which paul continued to talk about as being foolishness in the eyes of the world. Um, yeah. So is it, is it, is it okay to be, to be proud of like what's going on? I, I if I could, I'm, I'm trying to re to interpret the question here. Um, is the question to, you know, is it okay to be proud of the church that you're part of? I'd say, absolutely. I mean, hopefully that is the case. Hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully we're, uh, we all have the opportunity to find ourselves in a place where it's like, I'm, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm living in and serving in the best church in the world. Now is Curtis Lake church, the best church in the world. No, it's not. Um, but, but the, there's a, you know, I, like I have my affection for the church has me, has me feel like, you know, this is this is the best church in the world. And and maybe I could just put it as an addendum to that. It's the best church in the world for me right now. Like this is where God has me. This is where God wants me. And so, um, and, and if, again, like going back to the image of, of, of managing what God has entrusted me, obviously, uh, whenever somebody puts something in your care to manage it well means to manage that thing in a way that would honor and please the person that it belongs to. Right. And so, uh, if this life that God has given to us actually belongs to him and not to me, if this church and the ministry of this church um, actually belongs to God and not to us who are, you know, part of this church, then, then yeah, I mean, hopefully we're managing it in a way that would ultimately make him proud, that would uh, be steered in the, the, the direction as if God were uh, as if God were doing the work himself, right? Like they think that's the idea of stewarding on somebody else's behalf. It's, it's, uh, it's doing our best with, with what has been given to us to manage it in a way that would most reflect the character and the desires of the person that it belongs to. Uh, and, and so, you know, does the, the, would Jesus, if he were in charge, want to have, uh, an engaging and vibrant and, uh, dynamic 
kind of worship experience for people to participate in where where we can um, we can connect with God emotionally and spiritually through singing and um, uh, through readings of the scriptures and just other ways that we that we do that when we're gathered together. Yeah, I think I think Jesus would do everything he could to 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 make that a meaningful um, uh, a meaningful environment and a meaningful opportunity for the people that were participating in it. So if I'm in charge of that, then I, I like I need to manage that in the same way. Uh, if Jesus were walking in my shoes, living my life with the stuff that I have, I mean, there'd be a way in which he would do that. He'd have a certain way about him. And so if I'm going to manage those things in a way that honors him, like I, you know, what I'm trying to do is bring my, bring my life into alignment um, with how I imagine uh, Jesus would ultimately uh, want that. And, and, and I think, I think Jesus would want things to be done as excellently as possible. Um, I think Jesus would want things to be done in, uh, with a spirit of, of humility and not of pride. Right. So it's, it's, yeah, it's not proud in the sense that, um, Hey, we're the best thing going, or I'm the best thing going, or, um, you know, this thing over here is the best thing going and, and, and almost like, like, I mean, you know what I mean? Having that, just that, that, that sort of arrogance that, um, that conveys a, an attitude, not only about the thing that you're describing, but how it compares against other similar things. Um, and just how much better it is than those other things, right? Like that's arrogance. Uh, but to to live our lives in in a way that is like humbly seeking after God and passionately seeking after God, um, hopefully, ultimately, we would be producing something um, that we can be proud of. Um, next question is: These verses make it seem like being successful and blessed is bad, but I thought God does bless physically, financially, even though that is not certain. Um, so, yeah, I. I don't, the verses, I suppose you, um, if the person is reading it that way, or if like somehow I'm communicating that, um, then yeah, I'd say that's not entirely accurate. Uh, success in and of itself is not wrong or bad. And obviously being blessed is not in itself something that is bad or to be avoided. Um, like the, the reality is that, that some people are going to take what God has given them and they're going to manage it and they're going to be incredibly successful. I mean, they could, they, they, they could be so successful that they ultimately ascend like the world stage as one of the best at whatever it is that they do, right? Like that's possible. And that in and of itself isn't bad. I would always caution that as a person is experiencing success, hopefully their character is growing, um, proportionately to the, to that success, right? Because I mean, we've just seen it. Uh, we've seen it happen so many times to so many people and so many other like movements, organizations, things like that. And, you know, as, as success accelerates at a pace that's faster than the integrity, um, of the people or the person that's involved in that success, like if, if the success is happening faster, then usually that person is going to, to, um, uh, to like fall apart. Um, they, they might fall apart spiritually. They might fall apart morally. They might fall apart relationally, right? Like just there, there might be chaos and havoc 
uh, all around them, even though while there's a there's a there's an arm of their lives that is moving in a direction of of being successful, like everything else is just kind of falling apart. And so I think ideally success is tempered by a um, a, a maturing person or a maturing group of people, whatever it happens to be. Uh, kind of behind that success. But success and blessing in and of themselves are not bad. Uh, and then the person says, I thought God does bless physically and financially. And sure, I mean, God, he, he certainly does and he can. And I do agree with this person that like that isn't certain. Uh, I think that unfortunately, and, and this may speak to a lot of people uh, who have kind of grown up in the same era of Christendom as I have, you know, especially like when you're talking about Western Christianity, which has been on the far more affluent side, um, historically speaking, there's, um, there has, there has unfortunately been a, a, like a, a, a theological departure from the truth, um, that, that conveys this idea that to, to follow God and to honor God and to be obedient to Jesus and to be faithful, right. And to demonstrate allegiance and to do the right thing, even when it's the harder thing to make the right choice, even when making the wrong choice might've been, you know, a, a, a shortcut to, you know, whatever, like that by doing, by doing any of those things or even becoming any of those things that, that, that almost, ties God's arms behind his back and he has to bless us. He has to bless us physically or financially. I mean, some people have even gone so far as to create an entire kind of gospel narrative around that, right? You've probably heard of um, things like the prosperity gospel, right? And this, the prosperity gospel is utterly, utterly, utterly without any real foundation. Um, Not only that, but like is utterly dangerous. And First of all, it doesn't even make any logical sense. Uh, I think that Christianity, again, needs to reclaim um, an identity with um, both the purpose of suffering and also the like the benefit of suffering. And I know that sounds really, really weird, um, but the it, it just seems to me that uh, far more than the expectation of prosperity. In this, like as we're living in this world, far beyond the idea of us being prosperous and wealthy, healthy, uh, all those things, we ought to expect that, like, we're going to be, we're going to be tried, and we're going to be asked to walk through things that are going to require us to persevere, um, that are going to require us to hold fast, right? Like the language that we read, if you if if you really read the scriptures, uh, what you're going to find is the person who follows Jesus being asked to do oftentimes some incredibly hard things, um, and to, to, to hold on to faith in, in the light of, uh, all of, um, uh, all kinds of reasons not to hold on to that faith. And, uh, and, you know, we're to hold fast, even when it seems like everything suggests that we ought to just not hold fast. And, and so, um, uh, yeah, well, I mean, God's free to, he's, he's free to bless. Um, but I think we learn far less through God's blessings than we do through, uh, kind of being forced into a place where we have to trust in him, where we really have to rely on him and cry out to him, um. Unfortunately, our human nature is 
just wired in such a way that if my, if the circumstances of my life have me not really needing God or having to depend on God, then there's a pretty good chance I could stray away from the very idea that I do need God or that I uh, am dependent on God. It's just, it's just so easy to do. And, um, uh, you know, meanwhile, you know, people who find themselves in much more difficult circumstances where they are needing to trust God, um, where their dependence is holy and entirely on God, you're often going to find that person far more closely connected to God. So let's not despise um, what uh, what tribulations, you know, to use kind of a Bible word, what tribulations might come into our lives, what trials might come and try us. Uh, like we're told in scripture, first of all, don't be surprised by them. Like these things are going to happen to the person that's following Christ. And, you know, and when they do, like we can put our hope and our confidence in God, who first of all, won't, um, uh, he, he, he won't, he won't ever like, like he doesn't have this heart that is trying to get us to screw up. He's not, he doesn't have this heart that's trying to get us, you know, to kind of go the wrong way or to make the wrong decision so that he can hold that over us. No, he wants the best for us. He wants the best for us always. It's, it's, it's me. I'm the one that settles for something that's not his best. I'm the one that makes decisions that, you know, compromise God's best for my life. And meanwhile, he's there, you know, pining for and rooting for me, um, to, to surrender myself to the very best that he has for my life. And so, uh, when I find myself in a place where God is correcting me, I can do one of two things. I can either in my pride and arrogance, just sort of like turn around, turn my face against that, or I can embrace the correction, understanding that it comes from one who loves me and is trying to create, um, you know, uh, uh, uh something, out of me, right? We're described in scriptures as, you know, these masterpieces, these, these things that, that, that by God's workmanship are being created. Um, and so that, that comes, uh, through all kinds of circumstances, good, bad, uh, and ugly, I guess. All right. Uh, next question is how can we evaluate ourselves, our endeavors for how they are cross carrying, especially when they are successful in the way of the world, uh, especially when we are successful in the way of the world. Uh, so I, it's, it's kind of like related to the last question and to one of the earlier questions. Um, so again, like the, the, to, to say that, oh, because something is successful and to use that success as a measurement or an indication that it, well, it must not be aligned with God. Obviously we can just throw that out the window. Um, right. That, that wouldn't be a good evaluation because much of what we will set our hearts to do, God will bless and it will be fruitful. Um, and fruitful is such a better word. Like, you know, I, I think one thing that we can, that we can count on is fruitfulness, uh, and fruitfulness, just the problem with fruitful, the problem with fruitfulness for us is we just, we can't always see fruitfulness. We can't always like something that looks like a dismal failure, um, just to be thrown on the trash heap could actually in the eternal weight of things prove itself to be fruitful. We just don't know. Um, but anyway, yeah. How do we evaluate ourselves? Well, I, I think we could go back to, um, um, you know, to what we initially talked about, like, are, uh, are we in this thing that I am setting out to do, you know, what's really the motivation behind what it is that I'm doing? Um, is this, is this so that 
I can become something so that I can make a name for myself. Um, you know, that, that sort of thing. Uh, or is it, is it truly a desire to honor and glorify God and to demonstrate love for other people? (laughs) Right. Which like, those are, I think those are the really good indicators of whether or not something is, is being done. Uh, like, am I willing to continue to persevere in this thing, even if it means I have to suffer for it? Um, you know, is the, yeah, is the, is the success something that I'm just going to sort of sit on the laurels of and, you know, celebrate me and, um, you know, or, uh, you know, or, or am I going to continue to reinvest whatever, um, whatever God is doing and how God is operating, uh, in whether it's my life or the life of a church say, um, yeah, we're going to, are we going to reinvest that back into the kingdom? Are we going to continue to, to, to live in a continued state of brokenness and know that while there may be some things that are going really, really well in repairing brokenness in our world, like the, the truth is there's, there's still so much brokenness that's left and that remains and that endures. And, and so never can we get to this place where we think that the job is finished or the job is done. Um, all right. And then the last, uh, the last question says, uh, can we take a break? (laughs) Can we take a break from the church of Corinth? It's Christmas time. Let's focus on more uplifting stories like David versus Goliath. Um, I don't really know what to do with this. I can't, um, my, my assumption is like, I don't know if it's being goofy and funny or if it's being snarky and I want to say snarky. So yeah, I, it's just weird. It kind of came in at close to eight o'clock. So I don't know if somebody that was watching this thing online later on, or just somebody that like later on in the day decided to throw something funny or snarky up there. Um, I say snarky because it says, let's focus on more uplifting stories like David versus Goliath, which David and Goliath has nothing to do with Christmas time. So that kind of suggests it's being sarcastic. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the real question is here, but I mean, I will say that, yeah, I get it. Like it's, it's Christmas time. And, um, a lot of times we have done, you know, series that are like specifically focused on the season of Christmas. I don't think there's any mandate that we have to do that. Um, so I, I, I made the decision that like, we were just kind of, kind of continue on in our study. Uh, this coming Sunday, we have something that's pretty different, um, that is very, very Christmas oriented. And, and then, um, the week after that, we're going to do kind of a, a review and summary of this, this first section before we jump into the, to the next section for the new year. Uh, and then on the, what is it? 24th, right? Um, on Sunday, the 24th, um, you know, we're going to try and do something, you know, probably that won't be related to first Corinthians. It'll just be a little different. Um, uh, we're, we're doing one service instead of two. Um, so unified service plus a brunch following just as a, as a way to kind of like gather the church together and, um, spend a little time reflecting on and worshiping God, uh, in the Christmas season, uh, as well as share a meal together. So kind of excited for that, but anyway, uh, yeah, well, uh, I don't know whoever wrote this, my guess is, um, Christmas has really nothing to do with it. They're probably just tired of first Corinthians and yeah, I guess I could say, I'm sorry 
if that's the uh, the way a person or people are feeling. Um, this is obviously a little different for us to to kind of move more slowly through and methodically through a um, a an extended portion of scripture, but. Um, I think it's been good for us. I think it'll continue to be good for us. And so um, we're going to keep on going with it. So, all right, uh, that's it. I think, um, yeah, good questions. Thank you so much for all of them. And um, hope to see all of you at the giant Christmas party uh, this Saturday or Sunday, either day. Uh, Other than that, have a great week. See you next time. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of My Messy Church. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to head to your app store and download the Curtis Lake Church app for easy access to all of our content. Thank you so much for joining us, and we can't wait to be with you next week.